one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That's yeah. They advanced for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over this. Fellow Ronaldo is a cop. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, it's actually a After she's mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here? You surely man. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the post-Europa League final, Irish Times, second captains, football podcast. Ken is in Basel, we're going over there in a second. Murph is here with me in studio. Hi, Karen. Hello there, Owen. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. I just want to flag up our later piece in this show, though. Okay. Uh, so people get excited about it, because it's. Uh, I'm excited about it. It's ahead of Saturday's FA Cup final. Richie Sadler's going to pop in to help us chat to an old pal of his, Robbie Ryan, who is over in London, has been living there for many years, played for Millwall with Richie for a good few seasons. Now, Robbie, Richie had retired by this stage. I think he retired earlier in this season, actually in 2004. Robbie Ryan played, if you remember, Millwall were in the cup final against Manchester United that year. Dennis Wise was player-manager at the time. Last FA Cup that Man United won. Yeah, and the the task at hand for Robbie that day was not an enviable one, Murph. Do you want to tell people who he was marking? Well, if it, well, why don't we transport our listeners all the way back to 2004 when one-trick pony Cristiano Ronaldo uh, burst onto the Premier League scene to mostly shrugged shoulders and uh, I, for no good reason, hate this player. Uh, <laughs> seems to be the general reaction of fans that weren't from uh, weren't from Manchester or weren't of Manchester United. Um, so it seemed, well, you know, maybe Robbie Ryan is just the kind of guy to kick Ronaldo up in the air and give him a bit, give him hell for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. But it turns out Cristiano Ronaldo had a little bit more to him, a little bit more to his game than we thought. What is funny, and yeah. And it's subsequently been proved, you know, uh, about <laughs> right. I was watching, this. There was, there was an 11-minute video, it was like Cristiano Ronaldo highlights versus Millwall. And uh, Robbie Ryan did, did quite well. You know, there weren't, there weren't too many moments where he was sort of embarrassed or anything. But R- Ronaldo... I was for some reason I remember the early Ronaldo. This is his first season. I remember him being kind of weedy or something, yeah. very young looking and all this. Now he was very young looking, had this big sort of shaggy hair, but he still looked like he looked like the body was already there. the The frame was in mm. shape, yeah. and he eventually put the muscle onto that. And there wasn't too there were there were the same sort of tricks he pulls today, and actually the same the early stages of the same. Like he missed one shot, and there's the pout, you know, the like yeah. the world's against me because his shot went wide. That's already there, but he uh, yeah, pretty high quality uh, that, stuff. And that was. Uh, to be fair, one one of the first games where I think uh, United fans. I mean, I think the first season was very up and down for Ronaldo. I mean, he was good in some games, and then you know there, there was just the level of showmanship on show meant that people were still a little unsure of him. But he was very good that day, and I think kind of from there 
his reputation continued to soar. Ken Early in Basel. What are your early mor- morning Thursday thoughts? Morning, Ed. Good morning. Glad to speak to you at this time in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for making the time, Ken. <laughs> Liverpool, mm. Ken. Klopp, uh, failure. Um, a lot of people, I was watching, hey, I'm going to let you talk. Why am I talking? Everyone wants to hear what you have to say in Basel. I'll, well, I'll make my points later on. They just got, um, you know, clubbed like baby seals <laughs> by uh, the, the sort of brutal uh, seal skin collectors in the shape of Basel. <laughs> it was, it was uh, awful to watch. I mean, I, I, um, I, I, I put up a report on last night uh, on the Irish Times website. Well, I, I didn't put the report up on the website, but when I saw they had put it up, I, I tweeted it, and I said something like, "Report from Basel as Sevilla thrashed Liverpool to win." You know, hat trick of European cups. Mm-hmm. Like they were, the, it's the first team to win three. <clears throat> you know, to win a European trophy three times in a row since Bayern in in seventy six. Well, I suppose Liverpool kind of did it seventy six to seventy eight as well. What they were doing, they were winning different trophies. Anyway, this word thrash seemed to cause it. Seemed to ruffle a few feathers. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't know what what people. You know how people would have rather um, described that. I mean, it was a thrashing. Would they? Would they rather I had said they got good, or you know, hammered, or you know, what, I mean, what, 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 what's, what's the problem with? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it as a. It was, a, it was an unthinking expression, but it seemed, it sounded to me like, yeah, about right. It was, it, it wasn't even close. I mean, Sevilla were, were the better team for almost the entire game, the exception being the few minutes between Daniel Sturridge's goal and half-time when, when they suddenly started to get a bit nervous. And it looked uh, in that little uh, period of time as though, well, they might have completely lost it. They might have lost their nerve. Liverpool probably should have scored another goal in that time, but they didn't. Um, and for the rest of the game, Sevilla were... Uh, Completely in, in the driving Well, they seat. undoubtedly trash him in the second half, but I don't know. I I, I read your report and I, I, I felt slightly differently about the first half. I didn't think it was all going Sevilla's way until this moment happened. I kind of felt actually Sevilla looked a little bit ruffled by by Liverpool uh, and were struggling. I mean, Liverpool should have had two penalties for a start. Uh, and it caused, well, him, caused him quite a lot of difficulty. Caused him quite a lot of difficulty down the right hand side. Brian Kerr did a piece at half time where he showed this weird habit that Sevilla had of sending all their players to their own right hand side. I don't know what they were worried about on Liverpool's left, but they they were <laughs> there were a couple of t- times the first half where they just sent everybody over there, and suddenly Klein or somebody in the right hand side would have fifty yards of space to work with, uh, ra- you know, rather than a more standard way. And they obviously saw that it's the kind of thing you, a manager says that wasn't part of the plan. That's what are you doing. Uh, you know, and sorts it out at halftime. It is true. There were a lot of moments in the, in that game in which Nathaniel Klein was sprinting to retrieve a ball that was running out of play on the touchline. That, was that happened a few times there. as well. Yeah, there were some overhead yeah. passes into that space in front. But do you, do you honestly think that they trashed him during the first half, Sevilla? Oh, they did. And, and if they were overloading on the right side, I wonder who they might have been oh, yeah. thinking about targeting. <laughs> oh, of course, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder, was there any weakness on that side that they thought they might be able to exploit? Mm. Um, as it was, uh, they eventually managed to, to get down that side. Alberto Moreno let them get down there. I mean, he just had a terrible game. I mean, this is, this is the problem. You know, you can't, 
if you, if you make big mistakes like that, it's it's gonna it's gonna cost you. I mean, he's been making bad mistakes throughout this uh, European run. Um, you know, wasn't there against Borussia Dortmund? He should have given away a penalty, a really, a really obvious penalty. Uh, I think there was a similar type of moment against Villarreal. Well, he didn't get away with it in the final. He's been getting away with it till now. He didn't get away with it anymore. You, you can't get away with that kind of thing in the in the long run. Um, you you were saying, Owen, you thought that the first half was was a little bit different. Well, it wasn't. You know, I've I see a lot more Liverpool than I do of Villarreal, and I can tell the difference between them when they're playing well and when they're not. And in the first half, they didn't play well at all. They uh, started off very nervously. I thought the referee, uh, it wasn't the kind of referee they were hoping for. Uh, they probably needed a the sort of referee who was prepared to let a lot of things go. Um, and he didn't. He didn't let anything go. He gave three fouls in the first two minutes. And, you know, from that moment, it was almost, that was a, it was like, okay, we can't, you know, we're not going to be just able to push these guys, mm. literally push them over. Uh, you know, uh, it, it was a little bit inhibiting, I thought. They couldn't get things going. They, they barely got the ball until 10 minutes in. When they did, they couldn't put together any moves. They were giving them the ball away. There was a chance for Daniel Sturridge when Klein put over a really good cross. Uh, Sturridge headed it and um, it bounced, you know, close to the yeah. goal line was... was kicked away but apart from that there was well, nothing you until, well, you until think, the goal you didn't think the penalty appeals the, the, there was there were three handball appeals one of which was well, it wasn't really it was a sort of a half handball there were, there were, handball there were, there isn't there were two, the thing anymore Owen it's not the thing it's just not a thing anymore like we obviously missed it I don't know it might have been when we were in New York <laughs> uh, but I think I think FIFA put away must have, must have put something around where they said look handball in the box by the defending team doesn't count anymore yeah because I mean how many times have we seen it recently um, it just doesn't really, it's just not, but in any case, you know, when you don't get a penalty for like an accidental, a minor accidental handball in the box, can you really feel that aggrieved as that? Well, you know, I, you know, okay. It, it, sometimes you get the penalty, sometimes you don't, but it's not, it's, it's not as though, uh, you know, the, the ball was rolling into the net before the city defender jumped on it and picked it up and threw it away. You know what I mean? Mm. It's not, it's not as though. Uh, you were really knocking on the door. You could have got, you could have won the penalty lottery. Some, you know, some defender gets penalised for accidentally the ball touches his hand, and you you get a penalty. But it doesn't mean you deserve to score. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean it's, it doesn't mean you, you're playing well. Uh, I mean, maybe Liverpool did deserve did deserve to get a penalty. I was at the game. Uh, certainly, the Firmino one. Uh, was a pretty obvious handball, although the referee, I guess, must have thought, well... That was the one when the, the defender sort of lay on the ground, was it, put his hand on the ground? No, for, for me, though, it was cutting from in from the right and sort of was going past the guy in the box. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the ball hit the, yeah. the, ball hit the defender's hand. I mean, that was that was a really obvious one. Um, the referee must have thought it was accidental or... You know, didn't count as a penalty. Yeah, and I don't know how the other. You know, sometimes you don't you don't get given a penalty. I mean, what about didn't Adam Alana have a fairly bad challenge in the first few minutes? Referee could have taken a different view of that as well. Yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm essentially I'm just trying to con- construct an argument that Liverpool weren't that bad in the first half, but it's not really the main narrative anyway. I mean, the, the narrative is that over the course of ninety minutes they completely imploded, and, and you know, and I don't oh, yeah. know. Like, I mean. 
there was clearly no leadership on the field. I don't know what Klopp was up to off the field. He, he I saw him physically shaking Adam Lallana at one stage, uh, mm. about a minute before he took Adam Lallana off the pitch. Yeah, uh, yeah, look, yeah. look to me, Lallana had the kind of glassy-eyed look of a man there who wasn't going to be able to contribute much more to the to the field. So I don't know. Did, did, did Klopp offer anything? And not a lot, actually. Um, Klopp uh, was was mainly just sort of pacing around the technical area with his hands behind his back. It wasn't like he was really going nuts um, during the game. He, he, on a couple of different occasions, turned to implore the Liverpool supporters to make some noise mm-hmm. because they really, they really didn't. That was a you big know, point I mean, that he made in his post-match interview with BT as well. That, uh, oh, did he? Oh, well, he, what, he, what he kept saying was, did anyone in the stadium really believe, you know, after the first Sevilla goal... And, you know, it, it, he 100% was broadening it out, not just from the players and himself. Did anyone in the stadium, he said that a couple of times, really yeah. believe that we could win? So I think he was a little disappointed, all right, with with uh, with, with the crowd's reaction to Sevilla's first goal, even. Oh, yeah, well, he... he, uh, he but at nil-nil, he was, he was telling the Liverpool crowd to make more noise. Uh, at one-all, he was telling them to make more noise. Um, and they just didn't. Uh, now, it's it's a it's a stranger it's a strange situation. I mean, Liverpool obviously is a club that you know if you just look at the banners around the around the ground, you can see um, you know some quite self-aggrandizing banners. It has to be said <laughs> these, these banners don't lack for uh, you know sort of self-esteem in the sense of well you know let me tell you about a great club called Liverpool Football Club. Um, and part, obviously, of the of the mythos of the club is that the fans are, you know, extremely, uh, you know, are re- are re- the fans and the team are really one. I mean, as you maybe saw um, against Borussia Dortmund, you know, the atmosphere at Anf- Anfield was fantastic. Now, of course, that 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 doesn't happen. That's not going to happen every game or even really every year. A match like that, um, but. I, I would say that that crowd in, in Basel last night didn't uh, really live up to the sort of the idea that a Liverpool crowd would have of itself. Um, now, maybe part of that has to do with the fact that, that they were the overdogs on the occasion. I mean, Sevilla, even though they're the team that were about to win this competition three times in a row, were definitely the underdogs. They were the underdogs uh, with the bookmakers. They were the underdogs in the sense that they were massively outnumbered in the stadium. Um they're obviously a you know a lesser they, as a team you know in European football history they probably have a lesser reputation than Liverpool have never won the the Champions League, um, and maybe that's a slightly different situation to deal with. Uh, you know, I'm talking about from the point of view of the crowd. It's sort of like well, you know, obviously our boys are supposed to to win here. It's not it's not like I, I got the feeling the Sevilla crowd was really responding to this sort of challenge of being stuck in this corner of this stadium against this, you know, big English team, uh, and everybody thinking they were gonna lose not everybody, but obviously all these uh, you know, fans of this English team thinking they were gonna lose and the bookies not sort of fancying them and sort of going, Yeah, well come on, we're gonna we're gonna give it everything here to to roar on our boys, which they did. Uh, and it was kind of the opposite thing with Liverpool to an extent. There wasn't really, uh, there wasn't much. It was very Ireland, to be honest. It was, it was, a very, it was like a very Irish crowd. Uh, they don't really sing a whole lot of songs. I mean, it was a big event crowd. You know that way. It's it's not like uh, it. It did look know. fairly. It did look really 
uh, amazing to be honest, the atmosphere at the start I was jotting down a few notes uh, things that we could chat about possibly today in the podcast and one of them was amazing atmosphere because it looked oh, like yeah. it looked like you know around the in the early stages and just before the game um, and you sent me a photo and it just it all looked absolutely like a, like a proper special oh, occasion was, but that, that obviously ebbed away as the, the team yeah. ebbed away it, it, it was good I mean um, the you know the Liverpool fans had the scarves out were singing you'll never walk alone and, and whatnot. Sevilla fans uh, were singing Sevilla, Sevilla, Sevilla. And then the game started and it was really the Sevilla fans kept singing Liverpool fans um, quieting down mm. start watching the game. Like, I, I don't know. I wonder if it, it, obviously, there wasn't a huge crowd there. There was a lot of... There, there was a lot of Liverpool fans there, but, you know, it wasn't like... Um, a lot of them would have been... Hardcore, big event, yeah, you know, big event fans. You know, when you when you looked around that moment, they were holding up the scarves. When you looked around, you could see that one half of the crowd was filming the other half of the crowd. You know, it's like so unsurprisingly, the half the crowd that was filming uh, didn't have a lot to say when the uh, <laughs> you know when the when the guy got tough, they yeah. they continued to film. So. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the, the crowd is only one part. It, it is, but yeah. I, 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 do, I do think that the crowd did yeah. reflect. It, the, the the crowd didn't uh, didn't do Liverpool any favours last night. Sorry, I have just furiously deleted amazing atmosphere from my my notes here. <laughs> it was a good it was a good atmosphere, <laughs> very on. good. At the in fact, just a little bit too good, Alan, because it was fighting behind uh, behind one of the goals. The goal that all the goals went into uh, in behind there, there was fighting between Liverpool and Sevilla fans who were sitting just across from each other, eyeing, eyeballing each other across an aisle with no segregation. They were just sort of, sort of looking at each other until eventually, I don't know how the how it started, but eventually they started punching each other, and then um, there was a couple of stewards who were there who tried to break it up, and then the police arrived and police managed to sort of maintain order for the rest of the match. And luckily enough, um, the, when Sevilla won, uh, all Liverpool fans left immediately, which created a sort of segregation because Sevilla stayed behind to watch their team lift the trophy. Uh, and by the time they were done with that, all the Liverpool players, more all the Liverpool fans rather, were pretty much out of there. I was watching it on TV three, and I was really struck afterwards. Uh, I'm sure a fair few people would have seen Neil Lennon's punditry. He he almost seemed personally affronted, but I've never seen Neil Lennon look as angry. Uh, well, certainly not um, when he's not involved in an altercation with a Rangers manager. Uh, you know, in the in the cold light of a TV studio, he was just. He actually said at one stage during the analysis, you know, Brian Kerr was kind of talking about how Liverpool had imploded and it wasn't a good performance, but he wasn't, he was talking quite tactically and he wasn't really laying into him or anything. Um, and, and also trying to acknowledge that Sevilla played really well. Let him barely acknowledge that Sevilla played at all. He was just hammering Liverpool. He said, look, I know I, I really try not to do this because I know how hard it is to put out a team, to manage a team and to play in a big match like this. Uh, so I try not to go too hard, but this time I'm doing it because that's just unacceptable. And he spends about 20, 25 minutes just ripping into them. Uh, it just struck me that if that's how a serious football person like Lennon feels about that performance, is there a danger that you know all the good work getting to this final is completely undone by a fairly, uh, an almost unprofessional kind of uh, an approach to the final? Like the, the standing of this Liverpool team would have, would have actually taken a serious hammering from this within the eyes of people who know a lot about the game. Oh yeah, oh I think it, I think it will. Um, it was it, it, it was terrible. It was really awful. I mean, they 
you know, it, it's a bit like imagine the, the match in Istanbul had finished at half time. It was sort of you, you've done really well, you've had a great run to get to this final, but it was almost only so that you could embarrass yourself on the biggest possible stage. Mm. Um, you could get to the biggest game before showing how poor you really were. Um, I mean, in terms of will it affect the standing? You know, I don't. I don't really think one match has has that much influence. But people will see. Like that, Liverpool were rumbled. Uh, as soon as Sevilla scored that goal just after half time, everybody. I mean, when Klopp says, "Did anyone really believe we could we could win after that first goal, uh, the first goal against us?" I'll tell you, a lot of people couldn't believe Liverpool have been so stupid as to let in a goal within a couple of seconds of of the restart. <laughs> it, was, it was totally ridiculous. Yeah. It was, oh my god, you know, you can't be serious. This, you do realise that you're playing in the European final here. That's just so idiotic what you've just done there. Um, and that, I think that really saps the belief from a from a team to make a mistake that basic and that humiliating. Uh, you know, from from that moment, there was really only one winner in the game. In terms of like, does it does it you know affect their standing around Europe? No, well, not really. I mean, it's, it's not not in the long term. I think it will affect the standing of several players in that team. I mean, Klopp had been saying and has been saying, "Oh, this squad is much better than people think." You know, I think we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago on and yeah. suggesting that actually he doesn't really, <laughs> no, no, doesn't no. really believe that. And I think uh, last night will have will have confirmed him in his opinion about some of the players there. Um, some of the players simply aren't really good enough. I mean, if you put them in your team, they are going to let you down. Obviously, Moreno is is one of those guys. Um, Who else? Name? You know, Give me three, three to four of those guys. Mignolet, oh yeah, uh, Mignolet, uh, Lovren, uh, you know, Lana, Sturridge. Sturridge, really? Did you not see his goal? Sturridge's goal was fantastic. Is that right? Um, what else did he do? Yeah, he got the goal. He did. He got a great goal. They should have taken him off right then. You can see this rather one-pronged, single-pronged argument from me, Ken. Um, but no, but in fairness, he, he, he is—he's the, he's the only guy in that squad who's going to do that. Well, Coutinho—we'll talk about Coutinho in a little while. Actually, we leave him for now. But uh, he's probably one of only two players who could score a goal of that technical quality. I would say. Oh yeah, I, th- I would agree with that. I would—I would agree with that. He has a massive. He has huge technical ability, and he doesn't really. It's just not enough on its own. No, I, well, it can be enough on its own, but you know, I suppose in a match on, in a match on that level, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it is. I think you're looking for a little bit more. Right. You know, I think you're looking for a, a player who who really who really plays for the team. And with Daniel Sturridge, I sometimes get the impression that he, that he plays for himself. And you know, I thought like after he, he scored a he scored a great goal. It was a, it was a brilliant goal. Uh, and then you could see he got confident. <laughs> You can see he he uh, he started to sort of um, beat the chest. Yeah, he he was strutting around a bit. He was kind of doing a little bit of flicks and they had a nice little piece of control. Uh, it all looked great, but like you know, it wasn't sort of getting anywhere. You kind of thought, well, it's still only one goal. The second half, he did absolutely nothing. You know why? I just don't think it's really. I just don't think it's enough. I mean, it's not, if you have that much ability, the onus is on you almost to do more than that. You know, with Sturridge, I, I, uh, I have, I'm always struck by the fact that for a player with so much ability, he doesn't seem to inspire that much affection in, in you know, some of the more kind of illustrious players that he's played with. 
Louis Suarez didn't like him at all. Um, Steven Gerrard is kind of... Mm, now you read what Stephen Gerrard has to say about Daniel Sturridge in his, his more recent book. He's kind of like, well, Daniel Sturridge has got a lot of ability. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's just you're not really doing enough. I, I don't think he. I don't. I don't think he does. I think the club will let him go. It, it, maybe not. I mean, I, we 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 spoke after the game. There's a couple of us speaking after the game. That subject. The, the subject actually came up. It may be that. There's so much to do this summer. Certainly, I wouldn't say Daniel Sturridge is one of the main problems in the team, but you know, I don't think that he's. Uh, I, d- I don't think he's anywhere anywhere close to the optimal striker or the, or the kind of player you'd like to ultimately have in the long run. He's a player who has a lot of ability, but could they uh, could they get somebody a bit more dependable who might ultimately be more useful to them? Yeah, I think they. I think they probably could. You said you. I mean, Kevin Gamero. Look at Kevin Gamero for Sevilla last night. Yeah. Who do you think had a bigger impact on that game? Who do you think has more ability out of Sturridge or Gamero? More ability. Yeah. Uh, like more more ability with a with the ball. Well, like, as in, who would I pick if I was managing a team, or who has who more would, natural who, ability? Like, who has more natural ability with the football? I'd say Daniel Sturridge or Kevin Gamero. Probably close enough between those two. I mean, if if Sturridge applied himself, I'd say Sturridge. Oh, you, you think Sturridge has more? Ah. I'd say Sturridge, but I didn't see which way you were leading me there. Can I apologize? But I think I think <laughs> I think that Camaro uh, had a much bigger impact on that game, yeah, uh, and has had, had a much bigger impact generally for his team this season. You said you were speaking to a couple of people after the game. Do you want to name names now, and we can hear the interview? Yes, uh, after the game, I was speaking to uh, three of our regulars: own Sid Lowe, Jonathan Wilson, and John Brewer. Some Liverpool fans have been complaining to me on Twitter because I said that uh, they got thrashed tonight. Sid, do you do you think that was a fair way to describe what happened to them tonight? Uh, in the second half, it was, and I think in the first half, I thought Liverpool were a bit chaotic, and I wouldn't necessarily say they played brilliantly, but they make a, a reasonable amount of chances. They probably could have had three, or maybe two, two and a half penalties, um, and I felt like the way the two teams is play is actually quite similar. They're both teams that quite like chaotic football they're quite like being what the Spanish was described as vertical which means direct but not in the sense of a long ball but directing kind of everyone bursting forwards um, a little bit more open when they get attacked and it kind of felt like there were two reasonably similar halves I thought and I know you think that Sevilla were better in the first half than I clearly do but, but that was that was the way I, I, I saw it yeah what do you make of it Jonathan? I think I'm probably more in, in Sid's camp I think um, I, I, the first half it wasn't quite like the Villarreal game of, of Liverpool sort of physically intimidating an opponent you could see Sevilla were, were more capable of standing up to that than, than Villarreal but I also think this is something that's, that's happened in football the last couple of years probably began at the World Cup in 2014 that referees are more prepared to allow the physical side of the game to go mm. and Liverpool seem to be pushing that further than any other side mm. and you could sort of see when they got the goal that last sort of 10-15 minutes of the first half you thought yeah actually Sevilla might buckle here and Liverpool I think if they got a second goal then they would have won but then it was just conceding that early goal in the second half. They lost it completely. And I think the, the, the parallel is, is like the games against Southampton or Sunderland or Newcastle when they, they threw away leads. That once that panic settles on them, they, they, can't, they can't get out of that. Yeah. Well, I don't know, John. Maybe, I mean, we were sitting next to each other at the game. Maybe we poisoned each other's minds. But I thought Liverpool were nervous. I think that's quite and probable, by the way. <laughs> you, you two poisoning each other's minds. I, I just thought that they were, they were nervous. They didn't really get into the game. They were, they were quite inept. They had this brilliant moment from Sturridge. And suddenly, 
it, it changed the momentum, but that only lasted for half time. It did. I mean, uh, when, when Liverpool scored that goal through storage, um, I think the panic set in Sevilla for that point. But the fact that Liverpool didn't score in that time when Sevilla panicked, that was a key moment. If Liverpool had scored at that point, Jurgen Klopp had just been listening to him talk and he says there should have been handball decisions and he, he felt the referee hadn't been favouring Liverpool. But if it had scored then, then we would have been right in about, you know, Liverpool are back, they're back in the Champions League. But from the first, it, it was it was the signs were there in the first half. Mariano Ferreira was great in the first half. He was the key. He was the guy that set up the Gamero goal. Um, Ever Benega was fantastic all game, and then he stepped up in the second half. Liverpool had no response to Sevilla. Sevilla were clearly the better team, more experienced on this type of occasion, and. You know, Klopp himself, there's that image, isn't there? That, I mean, there was a lot of talk about that after the game where he was turning to Liverpool fans to try and lift them. Yeah. And he, did, he did it a couple of times. He did yeah, it nil-nil yeah, nil as and, well. Eh? And, and it, the fans didn't respond yeah. because there wasn't anything to respond to because the players had to encourage the fans on as well. You know, that said, I did think Liverpool's fans were unusually quiet tonight. Yes, I, I, I thought it was, it was yeah, kind of a big really event crowd. Unusually flat, wasn't it? Yeah. One of the things that I thought was interesting, you say like, Liverpool didn't react... The other thing, that I, I thought they didn't react in, in almost any way, to the extent that when they reacted it wasn't a reaction. And by, by that I mean that the substitutions that Klopp made just didn't convince. It was like he, it, it was like he didn't believe in what he was doing. He put on players that don't fit what he wants to do. If Liverpool are a team that come forward in, in, in numbers, that rob the ball high, that are aggressive and in your face, mm. to then basically put on two guys that you want to hoof the ball up to... Mm. It, it seemed to me to be a complete inversion of what it is they were supposed to do. And I, I actually thought they got worse through the substitutions because it was as if he said, shit, what we were doing doesn't work and uh, what do we do now? Uh, Slinging it up to the big guy. Yeah, yeah. I saw Alberto Moreno. I mean, you, you mentioned Ferreira, John Big McKee, but it was another fullback who was the number two trend in the UK on Twitter. That was Alberto Moreno with 114,000 tweets the last time I saw. Uh, he was doing an interview with Spanish Radio. I'd Including Jamie Carragher, who had deleted his tweet yeah, after James, seven minutes Jamie yeah. Carragher maybe spoke in, in anger uh, I saw him do I saw him doing uh, an interview that was Spanish radio at, like it seemed to be like was that with your station yeah. Yeah, so what was he saying he was to be honest he wasn't pushed um he wasn't pushed on his mistake as such. He was pushed on the, the, the sensations, on, on the kind of the strange night. And, and he was saying, you know, these are guys that I know really well and here I am in a final with them and I don't think this will ever happen again. And I kind of didn't want it to happen. And, and he was talking like a man who had felt uncomfortable from the start. Mm. That said, of course, had Liverpool gone on and say 1-3-0, maybe it would, it would have been different. Um, I'm not sure that he's aware... <laughs> Yet of, of of what people are he saying about. Even him. realize that he. I, I don't. I don't. I really don't think he does. Um, and and you know, I don't think him talking to the Spanish media was him evading the English media. It's just that you know, speaks in Spanish, gets stopped by Spanish radio, and and, and it's a natural thing to do. But it was he wasn't pushed on that. He was pushed just on that sense of what happened in the game. By the way, his analysis was closer to yours. Yeah. I was quite surprised by this because the question the question in, on on the federal radio was. What changed? Because in the first half, you were you really were completely dominant. In the second half, somehow Sevilla dominated you. And he said, well, in the second half, yeah, they dominated us. The first half was perhaps a little bit more even. Maybe we shaded it. Mm. So yeah. Yeah, maybe someone disagreed with you. Albert Moreno has similar understandings of, of the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, ju- ju- just in the press conference there... Um, the very striking thing for me was that Jurgen Klopp talks about the transfers that Liverpool are going to make over the summer. He said, you yeah, know, we're going to make transfers, that's clear. Now a left-back, 
come on, that's yeah. got to be first. Because he's well, just with a goalkeeper, so... maybe. Yeah, goalkeeper. although he talks. He's been talking about how amazing the squad is. He likes yeah. Mignolet. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the word is that he and Mignolet have a good relationship. Uh, the, the fact that they both speak German or Mignolet speaks German is, is supposedly a, a good thing. But I don't think. Uh, I mean, we were just watching back the goals, weren't we? And yeah. Mignolet not good on those. But he just sort of spreads nervousness. He, he, you know, there was a couple of, of crosses in the first half where he just didn't come. There was, there was an incident in the first half where the ball just sort of dropped towards the left of the six-yard box, mm. and you saw there was no severe player anywhere near. Yeah. And you saw Liverpool defender sort of thinking, "Oh, he's going to come for it," and in the end, they got put behind for a corner. There was one even earlier than that, you know, the bizarrely, and I, I caught it. It's literally two or three minutes in, and it's just a little, it's just kind of a little ball dropping somewhere behind the right back and the goalkeeper and everyone's just sort of waiting for someone to go and get it mm. and it didn't really matter because nothing really came of it but you're watching it thinking that is why he's a problem not because he doesn't make saves because he does make saves not because he makes terrible mistakes because although he does once in a while it's not really what defines him you're right it's no one kind of trusts him yeah. there's no sense of security well I mean uh, Sevilla now into the Champions League and, and hopefully as soon as possible back into this competition which they just <laughs> love so much and are so, are so good in sorry, I was, I just, so, sorry to interrupt it's just this year they win the Europa League having not started in it I think it's 2014 they didn't qualify for the Europa League but uh, financial problems of Rayo Vallecano and I think Malaga they finished ninth, got them into the Europa League and they won it so the, the last three they've won they didn't actually start the summer or start the, well I suppose sort of start of the season thinking they were even going to be in it Whoa, 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 Murph. Hmm. That, I mean, that was a football journalist mega mix right there. I know. I mean, Bruin, I, I just, Wilson, Low, Early. I, I was just wondering if, if there was anyone left in the press box. I mean, <laughs> did, did, Ken, did you just throw like a net over as many journalists as you could find? And you yeah. came up with that beautiful rich haul. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was just, uh, what can I say? It's just one of those. They flocked to you, Ken, Ken didn't they? I mean, you didn't even have to go looking for them. Yeah, Ken doesn't yeah. have to ask anymore. It's just, yeah, it's people just come to him. What did you make of the, the, the big one, boss? Coutinho came up there, and, you know, it's it's <laughs> we're not going to place Coutinho in the category that we talked about earlier on, Ken, of players who aren't good enough for Liverpool. I mean, if mm. anything, the arguments have made this year that he could be too good and he could be poached. But, mm. I mean, the guy guy disappeared and there was nothing oh, about yeah. his body language or anything that that inspired any sort of confidence like, like really just dis- properly disappeared he looked like one of these flaky skillful players who you can't rely on and that's Roy Keane at Juventus this most definitely was not yeah no. that's weird that was kind of the anti uh, the anti that yeah he did, he did I mean he, he completely he completely disappeared he just um, it wasn't even like he I mean the, the, he only really his memorable contribution was playing in Cocker for the third goal, uh, he actually split his own defence with an accidental through ball. I mean, yeah, he, he had a terrible game. I suppose he, it will go down and that he got an assist for Daniel Sturridge. Though it wasn't really the sort of oh, yeah. assist that people will remember for years, I suppose. Um, but no, he, yeah, he didn't do anything. Although, again, Daniel Sturridge's game I thought was 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 very similar. Sturridge. Had this, Sturridge did at least have that one brilliant goal, but what I'm saying is you can kind of overrate the importance of that moment. I thought Sturridge had a very very similar game to Coutinho. Um, obviously, his goal will be remembered by everybody who saw it forever. It was so good. Uh, but in terms of his general contribution, there wasn't really much more. I think both of them were really very disappointing, and they're disappointing because they're the best players in the team. They're the ones who, who really have to perform on a night like that. If, if you want the team to win, you, you look at those guys and you think, you, you're going to 
have to do it for us, and they and they didn't do it. For although they weren't the only ones. I mean, Firmino, uh, Firmino was very poor. Lalana was was the, the the typical sort of Lalana, um, you know, not not the sort of improved version of the last few months. The kind of mediocre version who snatches at chances and doesn't really make anything happen. Emre Chan had a really terrible game. He he, I have to say, out of all the Liverpool players who walked past in the mix zone, they all walked past, with the exception of. Milner, the captain, who obviously is going to front up. Uh, Daniel Sturridge, who had scored a great goal. <laughs> we call it uh, the Sean St. Ledger approach to post-match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the ledge. Huh? Min, I saw, I saw Mignolet, um Benteke, uh, uh, Origi, you know, sort of talking to the, the Belgian media, but I don't think they speak, spoke to the English. Um, and, and obviously Alberto Moreno, mm. uh, who didn't speak to the English media but spoke to the Spanish media for ages, um, out of the and the rest of the players pretty much walked past. And the one who looked most sad, and this doesn't mean anything apart from the fact that he's maybe he's just thinking, well, I'm about to go through the mix zone, better start looking really sad and upset about losing that game. But it was Emre Chan who really who really did look like he was about to cry. Maybe he had been already. Uh, he looks. He looks shook. Everyone else looks as though ah, it's another game. You know, Jurgen Klopp uh, apparently told them. Uh, Lallana was saying this in the, in the build-up to the final uh, when they when they got to the Capital One Cup final just before they played that against Man City. He said, "This is going to be the first of many finals we have together." Uh, and Lallana thought, "You know, I was really impressed by that." He said, "We're going to have many finals," uh, which is just as well. Because it's um, two so far and two lost, but maybe those players are thinking, well, you know, we don't have to worry too much. There'll be more next year. I mean, I, I do think that Liverpool maybe uh, aren't good enough to play European football at the moment. What I, by which I mean is, it's not that they're not good enough to play against European teams. I mean, clearly, if you beat a team like Borussia Dortmund in the way they did, you know, that's one of the most memorable matches. <clears throat> excuse me, they've ever played. Uh, I don't think they're good enough, though, to combine a long campaign in European football with a successful campaign in the Premier League. Um, you know, they, they, they don't have enough quality players. Uh, I think it's a little bit too much for them to handle. So the fact that they're not in Europe at all next season is, I imagine, first of all, very disappointing. Uh, you know, they, they've been thinking they would probably be in the Champions League, and, and it's not going to happen. But, uh, you know... At least next season, maybe it's going to be a little bit more manageable for them. Klopp mentioned the fact after the game, we're going to have a lot more time to train together. I think by this time next year, we're definitely going to see whether Jurgen Klopp is... We will definitely be able to see whether Jurgen Klopp is going to be able to build a really successful team at Liverpool or not. Next season, well, we, we, we can see the proof of the pudding because... Uh, you've really got some ideal conditions there as a coach. It's not this flying back and forth, playing a game, you know, every few days. This is going to be uh, just a league season, all the time to train that you need. Can you put together a good team? You know, let's have, let's have a look at that. Poor old um, Coutinho was selfied after it as well, Murph. Um, sad selfie. Yeah, I mean... Oh, come on, don't ask a player who's just lost a European final for a selfie on the, in the middle of the pitch. I don't know who, <laughs> who you are. Who, who asked him? Some guy, some dude. I don't know if he's to do something to do with this. I don't know if he's, I presume he's not just a supporter. How would he have access to the pitch? But he looks like a supporter. I mean, he's not in any sort of gear or anything. And uh, he literally goes, walks up to 
you can have a look at this, this clips of he walks up to Coutinho and Coutinho's just stunned and you could see him like with the phone people don't even ask really for selfies they just point at the phone they just assume that that uh, famous person will uh, will stand in there and mm. Coutinho kind of he- well actually he doesn't headset he just sort of sticks his head in then your man has taken ages like he's obviously just, just getting just, just oh just, wait just, wait just wait hang on wait I'll just, yeah, I'll, I'll just get this on, and continue, yeah. and eventually Coutinho kind of cops on and sort of moves away. Hopefully, before your man got the shot that he wanted. I'm, I'm going to say that that guy does not deserve uh, great stuff. He can stick with us to listen to this next piece because we're going to change it up here a little bit. I'm going to bring some good vibes to studio. Richie Sadler has just popped in. Richie, how are you? Owen, how are you doing? You well? I'm doing pretty well. We're having a look back at the 2004 FA Cup final, um, which you attended. Uh, you were just finished up at that stage. I did, yeah. I started that season as a Millwall player and then retired um, a month or two into it. So I would have gone along. I think I was actually employed by Millwall Academy by the time that the final came along. I had a job there. So, um, yeah, I went to Carter for the weekend with some friends, stayed away from the squad mainly. I don't. Uh, I never went near the after party or anything like that. And... Um, drank myself silly really to be honest right. that, that, that was my plan for the weekend and I and I stuck to it and it, it, it went exactly as you would expect yeah uh, the, it was kind of a strange headspace to be yeah it was actually because I, I suppose that whole season I was kind of trying to in some way come to terms with being a former footballer and the way in which it all happened and I think I was kind of gradually I don't know whether I just tell myself this looking back but I think I was starting to get some kind of acceptance around the whole thing and it, it really did throw me um, with each round the the, the, the lads progressed to go past the quarterfinal then into the semi-final the semi-final was against Sunderland at Old Trafford and I remember being there and when that game was won I remember really strong feelings of like joy and happiness for everyone and also going, oh my god! Yeah, because an FA—I mean, I doubt an FA Cup final was in anyone's no, thoughts it, at the start it, of the it season. It wasn't like when we, you know, you, you negotiate your bonus structure at the start of the season. I remember thinking this at the time, like we, we you don't even look at the latter stages of the cup because that wasn't in our radar at all. And um, at the time, I remember thinking because of the nature of my injury and how it was dealt with, like I had another option to go again. I had another eighteen months in my contract, so I could have jumped back up on the physio table and said, "Let's." try and do this one more time and if the pattern of the previous 18 months had been repeated I probably would have worked really hard for three months had maybe a three to four week window where I would have been available for selection for the first team and then I'd be back on the physio table again so I was kind of thinking God God, I wonder if I'd gone one more time would my three or four week window have been for the semis at Old Trafford or the final at Cardiff so it kind of did did set me back a little bit. So it was, on the one hand, obviously you're delighted for the players, the fans, a load of my mates were fans, and it was a really good weekend to look forward to. But when I was there, there was that little feeling of going, Jesus, I'd love to be out there. Some of your mates were out there. Um, Robbie Ryan is listening to us here. So say something nice about him and how big a crowd favourite he was at Millwall. <laughs> yeah, Robbie, he was he was massive favourite with the crowd and with the players as well. He, he, was always a, he, he was also my housemate for about three or four years and... We roomed together on away trips um, at hotels. So we, we were kind of inseparable for a few years and, and it was brilliant. And, and the house we lived in was everyone's second home. Right. Everyone in the squad who wanted a night away for whatever reason ended up in our place. Um, Manager would send his spies around uh, at, at all, no? Um, Not quite Alex Ferguson standard of... Uh, no, but I, 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 I'd say it wouldn't have been hard for him to find out what <laughs> was going on. He yeah. wouldn't have had to be too clever to, to realise. But um, some of the happiest, happiest memories of my time as a footballer were alongside Robbie. Robbie, great to have you on the show. First of all, hope you're keeping well. 
Yeah, yeah, can't complain yourself. Yeah, no, not bad at all now. Yeah, looking forward to good, talking about good. this. And, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a big day. Well, first of all, what was the build-up like for you, though? In the, oh, well, what was it like to, to live with Richie uh, and, and play professional football with him? I might ask you that first. Yeah, I mean, Richie, obviously, he was an outstanding player. And, and as I said, it was just the year that he actually retired, was, as I said, the FA Cup. And it was good for him, to be fair. But um, obviously now he's flying in Ireland, so um, <laughs> he's done well for himself. But I mean, he was a, he was a massive loss for us, to be honest. What we was, actually could have done him in a cup final, to be honest. <laughs> well, what was the build-up like for you in the weeks leading up to the final, can you remember? That was crazy, because obviously, I mean, playing with me while, I mean, we were professional footballers, but nobody saw it and knew us, you know what I mean? And we just went along as if we were anybody, you know what I mean, just, just doing a normal job. Whereas when the FA Cup actually come, I mean, Sky Sports actually come to my house. I was getting interviews every day after training. The cameras were down there. So it was actually like you'd, you'd made a big time, to be honest. We weren't used to that. I said at Millwall, we had, I think we had two... The, the local paper down there every day and, and that was about it to be honest and, and Sky Sports never never ring me or anything but as I said come the FA Cup they they ring me they come around to my house and done an interview for 20 minutes um, after every training session there was there was the Daily Star the Mirror whatever the Daily Mail every paper was there every day so it was um, it was completely different to what we were used to to be fair all of a sudden the spotlight was on you a little bit to be honest it was um, it was different but enjoyable obviously enjoyable at the time how did that affect preparation for league matches week to week? After you won the semis and you knew you were in a final, could you switch off when training started? Could you switch off when you're playing league matches? Um, I don't. You say you do, but probably looking back, if you look back at the results as well. I mean, obviously, I think the semi-final was on a Sunday when we beat um, Sunderland. Um, we didn't have a drinker at me the game. I think on a Tuesday or Wednesday night against Cardiff at home, and I think we still had a chance at the playoffs sort of around the quarterfinals and the semi-finals but I think we went on a run of literally one win in ten and all of a sudden finished tenth in the league so you say to yourself it ain't going to affect you but maybe subconsciously going into games and you've always the fans as, as you're going to the game they're, they're FA Cup FA Cup and I, I probably I suppose it does affect you to be honest you say to yourself it's not going to affect you but I mean for, for the likes of Millwall as I said never dreamt of, as you said <laughs> air bonus at the start of the season never even touched the FA Cup but it was it was a terrible bonus but we didn't think we'd get there so um <laughs> It probably did affect us, to be honest. Another element for you in the in the preparation, as I remember, you were in contract talks with Millwall. How were they going? Yeah, um, I was told I was getting offered a, a one-year deal, and um, I refused. I said, Dennis has just taken over. He said, I would like to keep it. I was delighted, because, I mean, obviously, like yourself, which we were there for seven years, and, and we, we had great times. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to go and start up again. But I said to Dennis, I said, listen, obviously, you weren't the manager before, but I, I got offered a three-year contract three years before it and it was the same money for the whole three years it never went up and I got told at the time three years beforehand that it's not a good deal but prove yourself so obviously then three years later they say that there's the same contract I thought myself well it's principal now obviously I, I can't be taking that so I told Dennis and he said to me oh no problem I didn't, I didn't know that I'll go and get you a better deal but obviously he never got me the better deal and he told me things and, and it, never, it never come to be honest so I don't know strange I mean obviously yeah I, I knew it was my last game but I don't think I was worried. I think I just always thought it, Millwall would offer me a contract or now I won't leave or I'd get I'd get another club and all of a sudden after the FA Cup my, my phone didn't ring and all of a sudden it was another three or four weeks after and then I, then I started to realise that oh my God uh, maybe I should have taken that deal at Millwall. <laughs> it's a funny one, yeah. So that it wasn't playing a part of your that wasn't playing on your mind too much going into the game or anything. You were able to put that aside and think and think about what you had to do. 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so, yeah. As far as I, I think I went to the games, I think I don't know what the country will we'll sort itself. And I wasn't actually because my, my father used to ring me if he spoke. I sort of I had an agent, but I didn't. know sort of just he was just ringing people for me. My dad said he spoke to him. I'm like, no. He goes, well, why don't you ring him? And I wasn't like that. I didn't sort of push myself on. The people said, ah, he'll ring me, and I was sort of quite easy going. And looking back now, I wish I was actually I should have actually done more and ring more people or whatever. But I just taught myself to you know what if I keep playing, don't don't let it. Don't let it affect you and just keep playing the game and you'll get something. But um, uh, it, it didn't look out that way in the end, to be fair. <laughs> what was your preparation like for the game? Can you remember what you were like the, in, in the days leading up to it or overnight? And why Why I ask this is, like, you seem to almost have a personality change in the 24 hours in the build-up to any match. <laughs> You'd be chatty, interacting, human, sociable, six days a week. But from kind of Friday evening onwards... You just get a grunt out of you, and you, you, you would be silent and moody. And in the morning of the game, traveling to the game, minimal conversation. What were you like then for a cup final? I would call it getting focused. I wouldn't call it moody, but you, you can call it what you want. Sounds a great crack, all right, uh, Robbie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. To be fair, my, my father used to come over on a Friday, and I wouldn't even pick him up. And I say, Dad, listen, you just go straight to the pub. I don't want to see you till till we're on till we're going again to then Saturday, Saturday afternoon. So um, <laughs> yeah, I think. I used to just get nervous and I used to just just worry as opposed to thinking to myself, you know what, you're a good player, just enjoy. I actually used to get nervous and, and try and, and try and just save me energy, to be honest. And I just thought if I talk, <laughs> it saved me energy and every little bit helped, to be honest. But um, I think for the FA Cup, um, I started to um, obviously get older and wise and I said to myself, you know what, you're a good player, you've played now two or three hundred games and I, I didn't, Get as nervous as as I done when I lived at Ubridge, to be honest. Um, I was still, I don't get me wrong, I was still a gump on Friday, but um, I did actually take it all in. And I remember driving down on the coach and even on the cup final. Now we drove through Cardiff, and I would usually just have my earphones on, have my head down, wouldn't look out the window, and just just try and think of the game or whatever. And, um, but actually, for the cup final, as we were driving through Cardiff, I, I had no earphones on. I was looking at all the fans and seeing if I could see anybody I knew, and and, and just took it all in and enjoyed it, and even. Coming out through the tunnel, I was I had a nice buzz about me and said, "Yeah, look, the crowd." As, as I walked out, whereas when I was with Ubridge, I wouldn't even look at the crowd. I'd have my head down and, and just wait for the whistle to go. So, um, so I did take it all in, which is great. Now looking back, I'm glad. I'm glad I done that. But as I said, when I lived with you, I, I was hard work to be honest. <laughs> yeah, glad you can acknowledge that now after <laughs> that all these you, years. That was, it was just you. Come here, when did you know for sure you were starting in the cup final? Because it wasn't by any means a guarantee, was it? No, I think we found out. I think we travelled down. The game was obviously on a Saturday. We travelled down maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. Might have been Wednesday and then trained towards you Friday. But even travelling down, we, we, I don't think we were told the squad until the tours. I think we trained on the tours. The, I think Dennis went to Italy to get to get some treatment on his calf or something like that. Um, and obviously we, we had a couple of suspensions and injuries. So he didn't name the squad until quite late. And um, lucky enough, I was in the team. But since I've been told that because I hadn't signed a contract that I probably wouldn't have played if he had a couple of more players fit. Um, so I'm quite glad that we had a couple of injuries. To yeah, be honest. You didn't but, know uh, that at the, you didn't know that at the time. You didn't know you were no, in because no, of injuries. Someone told me, and I said, "Nah, you don't be silly. Like he wouldn't have to, not saying he wouldn't have dropped me, but I'd start, he wouldn't be that childish." You know what I mean? And I was why I was leaving. It wasn't as if I was being stubborn or, or asking for something that that wasn't reasonable. I was I was mm. being honest and, and I thought he wouldn't drop me for that. But I've been told actually by two or three people now he he was where it was coming from 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 the board or whatever but apparently I wasn't gonna be playing on that and I mean that would have actually just 
broke my heart after being in Millwall for seven years and, and then not playing in the cup final. But um, obviously I did play. And um, yeah, but we didn't, as you said, we didn't find out until literally, I think it was 48 hours before the game, which was unusual because we'd been doing teamwork, but he just kept changing it around. Um, but yeah. It was here, thank God I was in the team, to be honest. Yeah. I still got people ringing me 10 years later, like yourself. Exactly, yeah. Well, especially because of the, the, <laughs> the, the player you ended up marking. You know, you, uh, you, you 48 <laughs> yeah. hours to think about marking the guy who's turned out to be one of the greatest players of all time. I mean, at that stage, was he being, th- were you, did you think I'm going out to play a great player or I'm going out to mark a bit of a, a bit of a, you know, show pony who I can kick around? <laughs> I wish I kicked him around. <laughs> um, I remember seeing him, I think it was in the quarterfinals. Obviously, he, he, he was signed, I think it was 12 million or something. He was only 17 or 18. So he was obviously always going to be a good player. But I think he started just broke into the team two or three months beforehand. I remember seeing him against Aston Villa in, in the quarterfinals, I think it was, or it might have been a league game. And, and he destroyed the left back. I thought, oh my God, he, he, he can go both ways. He's quick. He, he's probably not what I'm used to play, playing in the championship. So, um, yeah, I should have kicked him to be honest, but I didn't. It's one of those. I think I could have, in the first five minutes, I probably could have chopped him. But then, if you get a yellow card after five minutes and you're marking someone like that, you 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 run the risk of getting sent off. So it was one of those, to be honest. But uh, yeah, as you said, he, he's turned out to be a, to be an unbelievable player and. And now I'm walking on London Underground and he's out around Madrid, eh? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, there's a, uh, there's a clip, there's a, like a 10-minute video, Cristiano Ronaldo versus Millwall that I found on YouTube this morning. It's 11, 11 and a half minutes of his highlights from the day. And I think you mentioned that you had a chance to bury him early on. I think I might have seen that. There's one where he has his back to you and you kind of push into the back of him but you you maybe had an opportunity to go full, you know, Roy Keane and Mark Overmars kind of thing, and, and yeah, held back a small I, bit. I, well, I, I don't actually remember, but I remember why you could you could have smashed him in the, in the first, first five minutes. I'm thinking it's one of those. You know, he's so quick that it, being a, especially being a, a fullback and Mark and a winger, that the wingers are always going to be quick and and obviously attack you or whatever. So I thought if you get booked out of five minutes, you you you, you then can't tackle. Do you know what I mean? So I thought, well, do you know what? I'll, I'll just stand up, but. Um, Maybe I should have went through them. I don't know. <laughs> people, listen, yeah. people listening to this are probably thinking, oh, well, at least, you know, after all these years, he's probably got a Ronaldo jersey somewhere in his house, maybe framed, maybe even signed. Do you want to tell people about that? Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I haven't got his jersey. You know, obviously, after the game, we got beaten 3-0 and I was in a bad mood. Like like, like Richie said on the Friday, if you lost on a Saturday, I'd be in a bad mood a couple of hours after the game. So I've obviously gone into gone into the change room and sitting there, obviously a bit, a bit down. And four or five of the lads ain't in the change room. I'm thinking, where, where are they? Where's the lads? And they're outside waiting for Jay's. I said, what do you mean? Because they're in the tunnel because obviously Man United are out celebrating. So I said, they're waiting for Man United to come back in and they're going to get a Jay's. And I thought, and we've just been beating training. Like, don't worry about Jay's. We get one later. Off. Do you know what I mean? We've been beaten. So, um, Mark McCammon, I don't know if you know Mark McCammon, big, big black fella, he's like six foot eight, so he's come in with Ronaldo's short and I'm sitting beside Darren Ward and Darren Ward goes, well, yeah, cheers, Mark, he must have given that to Robbie, Robbie Mark's and Ronaldo, so give, give him the cheers. Yeah, yeah, give me that cheers, Mark, and he goes, no, no, it's mine, so I just looked at him, he, he's six foot eight, and he, he's huge, muscly, slim, and I thought, no problem, mate, you can have it, so <laughs> everybody says, well, you must have Ronaldo's cheers, I'm like, um, no, I haven't, so I didn't even get a cheers, and we were actually on the way to the players' bar, and I was with Danny Dicko and he knew Phil Neville and Phil Neville was, was walking along and he said, oh, hello, hello, Dan, how you doing? Hello, Phil, all right? He goes, you got a jersey? He goes, yeah. He goes, oh, Robbie hasn't got a jersey. So um, Phil actually gave me his jersey but he never asked my jersey. I, I can't understand why he never asked my jersey. But yeah, I've got Phil Neville's jersey. I think it's in it's in the drawer somewhere at home. I, I didn't even put it up in the wall to be honest. <laughs> I would have done it with Ronaldo's. 
you, you, you were saying there how you normally are mood-wise after a defeat. I remember being there that weekend and every single Millwall fan I spoke to, they, they, they had absolutely no expectation on the result. They all went there thinking, you know what, the semi-final day out at Old Trafford, beating Sunderland, that was like a cup final. We already know we're in, in, in European competition next week. We're here to enjoy ourselves. What was your expectation before? Did you genuinely think you'd win? Were you genuinely really disappointed or surprised by the defeat? Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I was disappointed after the game and obviously being taken off and losing 3-0. Um, I think, as you said, obviously it was Man United and if you sit down and, and sit and think to yourself, can we beat Man United, you'd probably think not, but, you know, yourself, which being a footballer, mm. you just think, you don't, not that you don't think before the game, David, you don't, you don't think about the game of the tours. I, I didn't, I used to just go in and think, well, playing whoever and, and come to Saturday, you play 90 minutes and, and you just give it your best and that was the same against Man United. Um Obviously, looking back at the game, and I've seen the game, and we never looked like scoring, really, to be honest. But um, no, going into the game, we did have a couple of injuries. But I didn't... You don't expect to lose, do you? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's one of those... You don't go into the game thinking you're going to lose, even if you, even if you played very much. You probably don't think you're going to lose. But if you actually sit down with yourself and, and actually think about it, you probably are going to lose. So we, I didn't think we were going to go into the game and lose. Um, as you said, the Millwall, from the Millwall fans' point of view, everyone said to, to myself and yourself that... Their, their cup final was, was the semis but um, I mean even I was a bit disappointed I don't know if I told you but like at half time we were obviously 1-0 down at Man United um, don't know, I mean we just defended to be honest I think we got a, got a goal from a corner five minutes before half time but why is it coming and goes listen I'm happy keep defending it's only 1-0 if it's 1-0 with 10 minutes to go we, we'll attack them um, I thought to myself listen I wasn't, don't get me wrong I wasn't a flying left back that, 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 that did attack defending suited my game to be honest but I just thought you know what well, in an FA Cup final, we're losing as it is. We've got 45 minutes to try and get a goal and get a draw or turn it around, whatever. Give it a go. But then I said, no. I said, listen, I'm happy the way things are going. Um, keep going. Last 10 minutes, if 1-0, we will, we will attack them. If, if things change, it's 2 or 3-0, we'll obviously we'll, we'll reassess. And obviously, then it'll become 2 or 3-0. But I thought, well, you might as well lose 4-1. Do you know what's the difference between 3-0 and, and give the fans something to cheer about but yeah I was quite surprised with Dennis but I suppose maybe he had the head that you're saying did he expect to lose maybe he thought about the game so much that he couldn't see us beating him I don't know where as a player you just don't think like that you just, you just go into the game and say well listen I'm going to give it a go and you just don't know but maybe him being a manager he thought we were never going to win and I was quite surprised with that at half time to, to tell us not, not to go for it when we're losing 1-0 or 45 minutes to go did anyone did anyone did anyone speak up? Did you say it? And did any of the players challenge that approach? Did they say the kind of things you're saying to us now? You know, this is a cup final. We'll never be here again. Why not do it something different? No, no, strange, strangely, no, we didn't. I mean, but you know, to be honest, I look back. I mean, I obviously played at Bristol. I played at Huddersfield. And at Huddersfield, had a couple of couple of old boys like Ronnie Jepson that would would give it to the manager and would have seen fights at the manager. But I think at Millwall. Because we all sort of were, were 20, and obviously I was 27 when I played in the cup final, but we were at Millwall for like six, seven years, and we were all, not kids, you know what I mean, but we'd never been out to other clubs, and we'd never seen big arguments, so it was sort of one of those, what the manager sort of said, went until, do you know what I mean, whereas if that was at a different club, I think a couple of old pros would have actually said to the gaffer, listen, like what are you doing, can we not go for it or whatever, but I think we were all experienced, but we were all only experienced at Millwall, and I think... When the manager said something, we would try and try and deal for him, to be honest. But looking back, obviously now, I think myself, I'm surprised that no one said it. But I mean, you know, who, who would have said it? Maybe Kevin Muscat might have said it, but Daniel Tico might have said it. But they were both suspended, really. Do you know what I mean? Mm. 
So, I mean, I was probably one of the most experienced players, but I only ever really played for Millwall. And um, we didn't have no one who was outspoken, didn't we? Apart from as a, a couple of names that I'd named. So, no, mm. we didn't say anything to Dennis Tibbons. But it's a strange thing to say, isn't it? At half time in, in a cup final. Um, you what? just don't know, dear, 45 minutes. What was that night like? I know there was a, some kind of official <laughs> evening. My, my well, only memory of it, you can maybe correct me, is did your old man have a go with Theo Pafidis, the chairman, on the back of the contract talk and how they'd been handled? He might have said something. I'm not sure. I think, he, well, obviously, yeah, we had a drink and I think my dad just, well, I don't know if Theo was talking to me, but my dad was saying to me, my dad said, oh, I can't believe it. You're letting him go out in seven years and he's not asking for the world or something like that. And, he might have thrown in a swear word. I'm not too sure, to be honest. And the, way, the way the order is talking, no, no rudeness in it, but obviously, um, so I don't know if Theo just sort of just just sort of looked at us and, and sort of walked off. So, um, but I, was, I mean, it was a great, it was a great party. I mean, after the game, I obviously used to get the Humphrey for for an hour or two, but then, you know, myself, which we used to live together, we, we'd be in the pub at 8 o'clock, win, lose a draw, wouldn't we drop in? And after a point, we, we'd be okay. So, I mean, that, that night was actually, it was a great night. And I think I ended up getting... 50 tickets I think for, for the cup final and then I think it was like I think I had 25 30 people at the after party um, I just got loads of tickets and I, I, I had friends I hadn't seen for years obviously my mother and father my sister and, and lads you'd come over on the boat and obviously wore wearing suits and a couple of Irish lads in the corner were like ripped jeans and not, you know what I mean just <laughs> heard everywhere I think oh my god typical Irish in the corner so we sort, we sort of just took over the corner so I mean, it, was, it was a great night um, I think I set up to like five in the morning, so a bit like your your own weekend, Richie. To be fair, I, I tried to uh, I tried to catch up after this <laughs> the on Friday night. To be honest, I've done well. To be fair, you would have been proud of me. Robbie, you mentioned that you uh, you you work for the London Underground now. I know I'm skipping ahead a bit from the end of the Millwall career, but uh, to to getting I guess a proper job. But how did that come about? How did you end up in London uh, London Underground? Um, my friend, uh, what it was, obviously went to Bristol and, and things didn't didn't work out. And I got injured and um, I got let go, and I, I was struggling for fitness. And to be honest with you, I, I sort of fell out of love. The minute I left Millwall and went to Bristol, my heart actually sunk a bit. And I, I lost a bit of um, a bit of hunger, if, if truth be told. And, and that's all I had. I mean, I, I wasn't a bad player, but my trick was that I'd give 110 percent and I'd kick lads. And if I, if I lost my bit, a little bit of hunger, I, I wasn't the same sort of player. So I got let go of Bristol. And I come back to London and Brentford. And I kept getting injured at Dagenham and Brentford and Northampton. I thought to myself, Do you know what? what? What's happening here? And my mate Kieran, actually good mate to Richie as well, he works for London on the ground. I said, listen, I've told me gaffer about you. Um, if you want, we can get you an interview. And, and you never know. I thought, well, do you know what? It's not, a, it's not a bad show because I wasn't getting paid at the time. I said, I, can, I knew I had well and who wanted me to go part-time. I thought, well, do you know what? I am 29 now and I've got a kid and I've got to start start thinking of after football. Um, so, lucky enough, got the interview and got the job and, and went part-time and, and I, I love it now. I'm, I work nights and, um, as I said, I'm, I'm just picking up my kids from school now. I dropped my kids from school. I still, it's like, not like being a footballer, but I, I still get time with my kids so I can drop them, pick her up and, and take her to art school clubs or whatever. So, I've still got the daytime to myself and um, I've been promoted at work and all that and I've been there now eight or nine years now. So, Looking back, I always think of things for a reason, to be honest. And um, I think myself, you know what? I got injured at Bristol and come back to London. Maybe it was for a reason I got a job in the underground. And now I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite settled over here now, and I'm, ha- I'm happy enough to be honest. What, what kind of work is it, Robbie? Um, cables, I'm called the cable lines, or so um, just like big, big copper cables for for the track. Um, yeah. Big heavy cables are like this. I discharge sidings and depots. I knock, I knock the current off. 
um, so a little bit of electrical work. But did, um, did you have no, a kind of? It, it, it's a, yeah, I'm just wondering. Sort of in, in the early days of doing that, in your first year or two, did you have any of this kind of attitude from from just from other people? Of I'm sure you're a millionaire footballer. You know what are you doing? What are you doing with cables in the London Underground? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, people just automatically think you, you play football, you, you make money. And, and strange, I mean, obviously, if you do in the Premier League and even to the Championship, to be honest with you, most clubs pay good money. But listen, it's not about money. But when I was at Millwall, I was I wasn't on a great wage. And to be honest, I'm I'm not far off what I am now. But obviously, now I'm older and wiser, so I've actually got a, a better life now because obviously you're, you're a bit more clever with your money than when you were when you when you were 25 years old. So um, yeah, I used to go in. What are you doing walking? You don't need to walk. I'm like, what's what you on about? They just think you've got a million pound house and no mortgage. I'm like, well, I've got a mortgage, mate. And do you know what I mean? i got to pay the bills and, and et cetera. So, um, but I just laugh it off. I just, people, I just say, well, listen, it is what it is. And so, so some people say, I, I feel sorry for us. Well, what do you feel sorry for me for? I go, well, you're, you're walking here like you're playing football. I said, listen, I've got a nice enough family and house and I'm happy. And do you know what I mean? I've had great memories. I can look back at loads of things from Millwall and even for Ireland under 21s and 20s etc so listen don't be feeling sorry for me because I'm working and as I said it's not a bad job either so um, yeah as you said people just automatically just think you're a football even, even still when I go home like people just think yeah, he's loaded or whatever and <laughs> I think if you only knew but that's the way it is I suppose isn't it Ro- Robbie <laughs> listen all the money. yeah it's been absolutely great talking to you I know you've you're, as you said you're picking up your daughter there now so we don't want to <coughs> excuse me we don't want to delay you too much but is the FA Cup final now 10 years on would you consider that one of the great memories even though the day didn't go as planned yeah of course <clears> of course yeah I mean as you said 10 years 10 11 years on and, and you're still ringing me do you know what I mean I, I still get the phone call at the odd time or whatever so um, now great memories it's something especially so playing against Ronaldo it's um with him being the pair he is and people say, oh, you're mad, Ronaldo. It's always something to tell to tell your grandchildren, whatever. And now it was a special day just to play in front of 80,000 people and millions on television. And it's something that I'll, I'll never, ever forget, to be honest. All right, Robbie, cracking stuff. Listen, thanks very much for talking to us. No problem. Take it easy. Thank you. All right, what a lovely guy Robbie Ryan is, Richie. Sounds like you were a bit of a pain in the arse to him in the run-up <laughs> to games. He'd just be like, no, nah, Richie, I'm not... I've no interest in chatting to you. Uh, yeah, no, that that was his thing. He, he he would just get, and as he said there, he would be consumed by negative thoughts. Mm. Leading, it wouldn't be. I can't wait to show everyone how good I am. I can't wait to play a role in the victory or in the great performance. It was always a focus on. I better not mess up here. I I, I don't want to be the one that lets everyone down. So he always had that question running around in his head all week. Yeah, what well, he seemed to seemed to do well in the cup final day. Are you surprised he didn't take on what was the name of the player? He said took the Ronaldo jersey. Mark McCammon. Mark McCammon. Physically one of the biggest, most intimidating players I think I've ever seen really? in person. Yeah, massive. Um, yeah, no. If 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 Mark wanted something, just just let him have it. I'm just having a look at him here. Mark McCammon is uh, <laughs> he's a well. Was he? A, a gym rat or is his natural strength? Natural. I, I don't know if he ever looked at a weight or never been in a gym. He's just one of these fellas who looks the way Ronaldo looks now. And I don't know if you could do it there. If you were to put a split screen, put Robbie's little head next yeah. to next to McCammon, you'll pretty clearly see why Robbie was so accepting of the decision uh, at the time. Yeah, the Phil Neville jersey it is. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sound like a serious booze up there that weekend, though. I mean, you, you hinted at it early on. but uh, My weekend? Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. Well, well, well. I suppose I was in full. I was kind of like in supporter mode at that stage, and 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 very much in keeping with everyone else's attitude. It was like this is never going to happen again. So just go and enjoy it. Um, and and we did. And and <laughs> things got so things were pretty weird and chaotic in my life around that time and for the subsequent couple of years. And but there was one memory I had actually on the evening before the game. 
I actually did a quick little thing with Sky Sports News, a live little interview outside the team hotel. And it was my only you know, work thing. So I was I was free then to, to act the, the, the maggot for the weekend. But I got a call in, on the evening of the match by an Irish Millwall supporter who I knew probably didn't do an honest day's work in his life, but was quite wealthy and well into his 50s. So I, I had an idea of what kind of life this fellow was leading. <laughs> and he gave me a call and said, listen, uh, I'm, where are you? I said, I'm in the hotel. And he said he was in a particular hotel, which was down the road. He said, come up and see me. Someone here wants to talk to you. I said, who? And he said, a person's name. The name meant nothing to me. Yeah. I said, who? Say, why? Tell me a bit more. And he said, well, well, he's like he's got a, he, he's actually known as, and, and he said a name, and he's one of these Irish people in the criminal world who has like, you know. Yeah, nicknames, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I said, all right. And I turned to my friend next to me and said, the such and such has just, I think, summoned me to, to the hotel <laughs> to talk to him. And he straight away goes, we've got to go. Come on, this could be brilliant. So we went along and then for a portion of cup final evening, there I was standing having pints with uh, yeah, yeah. an unnamed person who was pretty prominent in mm. the world of... I like the way you realise who it is and then you and your mate decide... Yeah, the, the obvious reaction is to run towards this potential excitement <laughs> Look, rather than away from it. You know, you never know what's going to come with these opportunities. You don't want to be left with, you know, what if, so just go with it. Richie, brilliant stuff, thank you. Cheers, lads. See if you don't get this out with mother of you, you're away, mate. Your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big teddy boots here, in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no peep, I take no peep, I take no, I take no, I take no peep. Just so soft, don't try to get some peep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. What's the fans? Just need to fucking work, wouldn't it? You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get out, get out! The biggest fool in Manchester. Well, there you go. Another intriguing episode in the football life of <laughs> Richie Sadler, uh, preceded by a lovely chat. Well, I hope you thought it was a lovely chat um, between Richie and Robbie Ryan. What a what a sound, dude. Robbie Ryan is a really, really, really great story. And, uh, lovely to hear that he's so happy, uh, so happy in his current career and his current life. Uh, the cup final itself, Ken, I don't know if you've... Uh, I mean, this cup final, not the 2004 version. I don't know if you've even been thinking about it much. I assume you're sitting in Europa League mode there. Yeah, well, it's it's hard to know uh, ahead of time. I mean, we've seen Palace and Manchester United many times so far this season. Palace started the season really well and have been utterly terrible uh, since November or December. And uh, really, this this has been the only thing that's kept their season going. I mean... Alan Pardew must look over Kike Sanchez Flores, who's been sacked by Watford essentially for collapsing in the second half of the season and thinking to himself, I hope that doesn't give, doesn't give my chairman any ideas uh, because, you know, Palace have really been every bit as bad, worse than Watford. Um, but they have, on the other hand, managed to get to the semi-final, beat Watford, of course, in the semi-final, get, get, get to the final, I should say. Um, as for Manchester United, I mean, yeah, it's it's it's... Who knows? I mean, it's who knows whether this is going to be enough. Is it is is winning the FA Cup enough? No. Does anybody? You don't think so? No, You're not a, 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 a 
no, buying it. No, no. I mean, the Manchester United should win and sh- and really should win easily. But everybody knows that in the cup final, it's going to be it's going to be different. I mean, um, uh, you know, if Palace can't show a little bit more of that kind of spirit that they had earlier in the season, now that they're in the cup final against obviously a vulnerable team of all the big teams, the most vulnerable. And maybe the most vulnerable to, to Palace's particular type of kind of counter-attacking football. Um, you know, when you've got like Yannick, surely Yannick Bellasi must be thinking, I really have to, this is a team that's going to give me a chance to have a real glory moment at Wembley. Uh, Manchester United, a sort of slow, ponderous team who also come with the reputation of being one of the greatest sides in, in world football, but are in reality a long way off that at this moment. Definitely a beatable team. For any team, not just Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace are one of the teams with, you know, <laughs> one of the better teams I think Manchester United could be facing the final in terms of they've just been so poor for the second half of the season in around party. So it's a really difficult game to call. You would have to say Manchester United obviously are a much better team than Palace. There's no doubt about that. Whether they'll prove that in the day is a different question. We've another podcast out today, Murph, featuring a young man boasting about a new Mercedes he owns. That does not sound too appealing. But the young man in question There's is Jason other, Quigley. There are other things. I, and I, we kind of forced him to boast about this. Yeah, you asked him a specific mark. question about it, so let's yeah. be quite, let's be yeah. quite, uh, quite straight up about it. Jason Quigley, this. European champion, world silver medalist in the amateur ranks. He's doing he's, uh, going along uh, pretty swimmingly, I think, so far in the pro game. We had a great chat with him, really nice nice fella, and a potential future world champion, another potential future world champion at middleweight for Ireland. In the meantime, I uh, hope you enjoyed this show. Uh, I've enjoyed it. Um, it might have been better for a lot of our listeners had Liverpool won and it had been a mm. triumphant tone but you know we're not in charge of that yeah, so, we, uh, we, we, we couldn't do that we couldn't, we could not we couldn't make fix that, that result <laughs> at least we turned up eh, Owen? we turned up we turned up yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks Ken thanks, and Basil Ken. thanks uh, very much Owen. thanks Kieran Ta- thanks Murphy thanks, Ken, thanks, thanks for listening Pokies. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.